in our regular life outside of coronavirus, we do a hybrid model of homeschooling. So my kids are in some drop-off programs because New Jersey's really cool that way. There's lots of options. And then other days we're together in the forest or at friends or at some co-op that we set up together. So it's, you know, a mishmash of a lot of different events. And one misconception about homeschooling is that it's about staying home, which is what we're all doing now. But in our regular life, we are also out and about every single day and interacting. And so I think I had that misconception because I have spoken to you often where I'm thinking in my head, oh my goodness, this woman has four children and I never hear them. I don't hear a peep. And I'm thinking you need to teach courses on self-regulation because <laughs> you are the most self-regulated kids on earth. You're listening to The Parenting Junkie Show, the place to go to love parenting and to parent from love. I'm your host, Avital. Yeah, no. Um, so yeah, so that's in our regular life. We're definitely out and about a lot. However, I am with my kids much of the time. So almost, uh, you know, almost every day and on many days for the whole day. So this is not new territory to us. And we've been homeschooling since... My eldest went to like preschool and that kind of just didn't didn't hit the spot for us. And we rolled through a few different, uh, you know, iterations of that until we decided, you know, what? no, forget it. We're just going to do this at home. And we've been doing different variations of that since then. So, okay. Yeah. So give us through your experience, some guidelines, some tips, some things that, you know, all kids are different, all families are different, that perhaps we can use as guidance as we're starting this journey ourselves. Yeah. So of course, being home with our kids all day, every day, and not being able to leave much, and maybe not even having access to any outside area is very different than a regular homeschool experience. And I, I would recommend differentiating that in your mind. Yes, you can learn a lot from the moms and the you know veteran homeschoolers who have spent many hours with their kids and handled their own schedules and taught their children and all of that stuff. But this is a very different reality. Regular homeschooling doesn't involve this level of anxiety and fear and uncertainty. It doesn't involve this level of economic shutdown and breakdown. And it involves a lot of outside the home activities for most of us. Most of us are outdoors regularly and interacting with other families. So this is a very different experience than what regular homeschooling would be. I also want to say, so in, in that sense, the takeaway from that is, A, don't judge homeschooling by coronavirus, B, <laughs> <laughs> B, and more importantly, is cut yourself slack. You're not going to be this like, you know, superstar homeschooler in these next few weeks because suddenly you're forced into it. It's, it's, this is a different experience than what, you know, regular homeschooling entails usually. But um, I want to just take that a little bit further and say, usually when kids have been in school, there is a process that's known in the homeschool world called de-schooling. When they ah. move through to homeschooling, yes. Okay. And that process is basically kids have been programmed in a certain way to expect certain things from their day and from themselves and from their environment and their teachers, etc. And when they're suddenly home, it's kind of a backlash. There's kind of whiplash, right? It's like, it's almost as if, if you just left a job that was, you know, rigorous and specific, whatever, demanding of you, and now you're a freelancer, it, it, you're going to have a, a, a reaction to that. Oh, that's a great way to think about it. Okay, thank you. Yeah, yeah. so if your kids are suddenly finding themselves at home, it's going to be, there's going to be reactions, right? And this depends on the school and whether or not they're going to be doing Zoom classrooms or whatever, and whether or not how old they are, how they feel in school, how they feel at home, how you feel, all of that, of course, right? It depends on so many things, but I just want you to realize that that transition is rocky and, and complex for everyone in every scenario, and especially right now. So I'll just pause there in case you have any follow-ups on that and then we can Yeah, go. no, I think that's beautiful. I think it's very important to think about that, you know, and that not expect, um, th I'm laughing because there is this viral image of a homeschool schedule that people have been sending around. I don't know if you've seen it. It's multicolored and it's like, oh yeah, let's just print this multicolored thing and hang it up and all will be well, you know? Um, so I think it's super important to sort of mentally prepare that, this is a big transition for everyone, right? And I love how you also said, on top of that, there is the layer of fear, anxiety, uncertainty, uncharted territory. Okay, so with yeah. all of that. 
that image for a little bit, yeah? Yes. And I want to say, hand on my heart, if you're a planner and you're a scheduler and you love following a to-do list and you like to check off the boxes and your child does as well, print that out, stick it on your fridge, follow it. If that works for your family, God bless, you know, go forth and conquer. I'm not like that. And I think maybe a lot of us are not like that, that that level of schedule can sometimes, I mean, let me put it this way. It can be a nice guide. It can can be be a nice guide. Yeah, it can, can be, be a nice guide. And by the way, I am currently looking for the guide so that we can hold it up okay. for a moment Great. and show everyone, right? But keep going. Great. So it can be a nice guide. Those things can give us ideas for how we want to structure our day. But I need you to be realistic about the amount of time that it takes to get into a flow that works for us and our children when it comes to homeschooling. It takes several weeks, if not months, if not an entire year to adjust to that process. I just want to... Okay. This is not the most you know, yeah. professional way to show everything, but this is okay. what I'm talking about. This is, this is what we are both talking about. So it's, it's, it essentially says, yeah. wake up you know, 9am to 10am free time, 10am to 11am outside time, 11am to 12 creative time. And so it gives, you know, it goes through the day until 5pm. Mm-hmm. It's pretty structured. Yeah, it's pretty yeah. structured. And like, you know, if a kid's coming off of school and, and a parent feels like they need that, then, you know, as I say, give it a try, give it a fair shot. Um, I just don't want you to marry yourself to something like that or hold yourself up to some standard like that. You need to understand that, that there are as many, as much variety in each homeschool as there is in schools, as there is in people. Okay. And just the way you run your Saturdays is different from other families. So too, the way you run your regular week would be different from the families next to you if you were a homeschooler. Right, it's just so different. I can tell you, I'm in a community of homeschoolers, and each one of us has a completely different schedule, daily flow. Some of my friends, I cannot meet up with them before eleven thirty because no one wakes up in their house before that time. Right? Wow. So, and we just know, like, that's their flow. This is our flow. No judgment. It's just different. And so, this mom is sharing her schedule, and it may be useful for you, and it may really not. The point is not to hold it as some kind of standard of what to measure yourself up against. Okay. And I, you know, and I just. I wouldn't see this time. Listen, if you can get into a flow, some routine, some rhythm is helpful. And Mm -hmm. I personally would recommend choosing three big rocks. So let's just get into an alternative for this, which is something that I, yeah. (laughs) I think it's, it's, as I say, these things can be helpful, but I think for most of us, we cannot suddenly suddenly rearrange our entire lives and minds into this regimen and become a teacher to our children. And let's talk about that a little bit as well. Yeah. Yeah. So I'm imagining, you know, my kids are six and seven. I'm going to put this up at, I'm going to put them at this table that I'm working at right now. I'm going to turn the laptops on and then I'll be like, see you at five. (laughs) That's not going to happen. Right. (laughs) Um, And so, you know, I am personally just, I'm going to try to go with the flow myself of, this is the situation for now and this is what's going on and try to let go of some expectations. But yeah, can you give us some idea of these rocks that you're speaking of or, you know, these three big rocks that we can look to and what, what does facilitation look like? What kind of support do they need? I'm sure this is also age dependent, but yeah. 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 You know, it's hard to also compress so much. There's so much research and books, et cetera, et cetera. But I, I want to help people flip the, uh, the narrative around now I'm suddenly their teacher or now I suddenly have to facilitate their learning. And I'll explain about that in the next point. First, let's talk about these three rocks in terms of time management and flow. What helps, in my opinion, is to have a couple or three things, up to three things, and it could just be one, that's kind of a set, non-negotiable, a part of our day. It's a grounding anchor. Okay, whatever, you're sick, things happen, that's fine. It changes from day to day, but in general, okay, so in my home, for example, bedtime is pretty much very clear every day. And people give you this advice with young babies, and most of you probably already have a pretty clear routine around bedtime. That's a routine that you want to honor, that you want to maintain because the circadian rhythms and because we are people, most of us and the children especially really do well with predictability, with repetition, right? With things looking the same and feeling the same day after day, as long as they're okay, right? And so choosing one to three things that are going to happen every day. 
And that's ambitious in and of itself. Just saying, I'm going to stick to a bedtime. We're going to do one meal around the table together, for example, and we're going to do reading time. I'm going to read three books a day or, right, just keep it simple. We're going to always do some music together in the morning or every morning I'm going to start the morning with yoga. We'll put on YouTube yoga and I'll do it. Whether or not my kids do it is a separate question, but there will be yoga done in our home, right? And just having those three things, okay, what does my sanity need? What will help us just experience a flow, experience a rhythm outside of the things that usually you have. Usually you've got to get out the door by eight o'clock. You've got to create the lunches, you, you know, and then there's pickup time. You have certain rituals with your kids when you take them to school. And here, because it's a different situation, recreate that level of predictability, but not to this, to the point of hour by hour to the point, I think for most people to the point of just Choose three reliable things that are going to rhythmically repeat themselves day after day so that you can get into a groove and you can feel some sense of control and your children feel a sense of predictability. I love that. And it also, like, my shoulders are dropping with a sense of relief. I wasn't, um, you know, personally going to use a schedule like that, but I was kind of thinking, like, maybe I should invest in some whistles because that's what it would take <laughs> to stay on that schedule, <laughs> you know. Um, okay, so that is huge, you know, and it's interesting because when you said, you know, three things, I thought you were going to specifically talk about, like, academics or something, but you're talking about three grounding rituals to keep us in flow. I love that. And doable and have compassion if you can't do them, you know, because this is a time of change and transition for all of us. Yes. But okay. That gives us a, some guideposts. And make those three things you do enjoy, three things that uplift the energy in your home, like doing some yoga or music or dance party in the kitchen every morning or a meal around the table where we all try and sit for two seconds together, right? Um, or bedtime routine being a little bit more elaborate with three books instead of one. Whatever it is, choose those things. But the whistles uh, comment is great and so on point because I think that brings me to what I wanted to talk about beforehand, which is the, our role in, in all of this. And our role as suddenly now we cast as the teachers, etc. And I just want to be a radical voice a very radical Do it. Yeah. Yes. <laughs> if it's okay, if, 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 if you resonate with my words, I want you to 100% fully give yourself permission to completely let go of the idea of academic school being any kind of priority throughout the next period. It's, in my opinion, completely misguided energy. I think if it happens, great. The school offers cool online classrooms and your children can engage with them, wonderful. You can sit down and have a nice session with your kids going through the textbook from school, great. The level of conflict, anxiety, frustration, uh, just tension between parent and child, it dis, you know, just is so distressing and destructive to the family unit in a time of already crisis. And in a time where, frankly, you can't walk away, you're going to stay stuck with your kids for the next few weeks, potentially. You can't go and refresh in a coffee shop or maybe you can't, whatever. But the point is the, the highest priority, in my opinion, is to preserve an energy for connection, for family joy and i think it's a huge opportunity to seize that uh, that special time together i could tell you honestly really today was one of the most beautiful days i've had with my kids in weeks and i get to spend a lot of days like this with them just me and them and it was so beautiful and we don't didn't do any official learning right we didn't do any of that we played board games we played playmobil we built lego you know you could bake cookies you could do arts and crafts there are so many things and my guess is you have so much more available to you at home than you ever even realized this is going to be one of those times where you're like wow, I could stock an entire school. I didn't realize, you know, <laughs> all these amazing things we can do at home. And you're going to get so creative and discover your inner strengths and your inner powers in incredible ways. Wasting all of that on fighting with kids over academics is so useless. And I'm going to tell you a secret that the, the, the schools don't really want you to know, which is that homeschool kids often, and I can say this for my own kids, go through the entire school curriculum in less than an hour a day. Whoa. Yeah. 
it is completely different learning quality when there's one-on-one you could do it at your child's pace and when they're most alert so my kid does his work at 7 a.m in the morning right his textbook work because his brain is totally on right and the rest of the day he's just playing and i don't say this to brag or any of that i say this to help people realize that once you don't have to manage 30 kids in a class or 15 or whatever it is it's a completely different game. The cards have just been completely reshuffled. So trying to recreate a school experience at home in most cases is going to be a supreme waste of time and energy and lead to a lot of disconnection between parent and child. Okay. Oh my goodness. I have so many things that are coming up for me. I'm like, you were saying so many magical things right now. First of all, that one hour compression is like, what? Ah. Okay. So I want to talk about a couple of things before we go forward yeah. so we don't lose them. Um, number one, uh, I think that I love what you're saying about this being misguided. You know, the goal to have them really dig into their academics can be misguided. And I want to be very sensitive to kids that are a little bit older, kids that are a particularly sensitive stage, perhaps maybe they're taking advanced placement exams, maybe they're applying to college, right? So we're not trying to be insensitive to the place that you are are in your life. Um, I think there are going to be um, big like sort of red flags and anxiety that that surfaces for many people or maybe yeah. resurfaces for many people around this as we're saying don't focus on the academics right so I want to touch on that for a second I think the other thing I want to talk about that I think people are really worried about again this goes back to that structured you know colorful sheet that we saw is that they're worried that it's going to be mayhem you know, in the house. And so maybe they're not, maybe it seems like the priority is, well, you really need to log into the Zoom class and like learn your math lesson. But maybe what's underneath that is, oh my goodness, if you're not focusing on that, what are you going to be doing? And I can't deal with that because, you know, for whatever reason, I have financial pressure. I need to sit on a conference call. I just don't want to deal with it. Right. So can we talk to these two points? Yes, of course. So first of all, I'm so glad you raised the first point. I would never want this to come across as insensitive or as though I don't understand that for some people, academic success at this time in their lives, especially in high school, is going to be very crucial. Uh, You know, I just need to say the world is going through a big thing at the moment. And we are all going to have to readjust our expectations economically, all the trips that we had planned, all of the different things. The the cards have been reshuffled. I, I, I absolutely believe, I have to believe that everybody is going to be getting, uh, you know, leniency with regards to expectations down the line because of these weeks taken off, right? So I, I want to say, I think you have to lean on that a little bit. I don't think it's fair to expect our kids to keep up at that same pace as was happening outside of coronavirus, as seeing as none of the adults can, right? None of our industries is keeping up. Uh, everything else is getting canceled this is going to be happening too. And that's okay. Like that is the least of our worries. It's okay. There are are always ways to make that up. And I I always like to talk about my husband who completely failed high school and then decided at age 18, actually, I want to be a doctor and then went back and retook all of his exams. And now he's a neuroradiologist. Like life is okay. Oh, I did not know that. Yeah, you get me. You're like, oh, you have such a good story. I'm going to use it. Yeah. This isn't an emergency. If you, if, you, if you fail this year in high school because of coronavirus, you'll be in very good company with many thousands of other people and there is always next year. So I just, it, we, can't, we can't put that kind of pressure on our children in this time. It's just not really fair on them. That's, that's on that side. And, and the flip side of that is if they're happy keeping going with their studies and it's possible and it's available and there are Zoom rooms or whatever it is, online classrooms, great. Like if it works, it works. You know, the other thing that you said, I think is the, is the more core point for a lot of parents is, but if they're not sitting plugged into a classroom, what are they doing? Mm-hmm. And here I just have to raise my flag. Yes, please do it. <laughs> and wave my flag of play. Okay. Play. And just remind everyone that, you know, I'm on my a mission, my entire, most of my work is dedicated to reclaiming play and to making play a mainstay of childhood and making sure that kids are getting hours of free play every single day. You are giving me goosebumps. You are giving me goose. I, okay, keep talking. I'm not going to interrupt you. You're amazing. 
Yeah. So in this respect, only in this respect, perhaps, or there are some other respects, but in that respect, this could be a huge blessing. Okay. This could be a discovery time for us parents to realize just how capable our children are of entertaining themselves, just how imaginative they are, just how deeply they focus and get immersed when they are self-directed, just how much they learn from and benefit from and enjoy their own inner world as expressed through play. And so my point here is why do we struggle with this? If this is, if this is the case, right? So if, children do this, if they can be self-directed, if they can immerse themselves in play, where is the, what's the rub? Where's the conflict? Why do we struggle so much with it? Well, do you want the conspiracy theory or do you want the, there's lots of of answers to that question. Hmm. One for real is like, it sounds a little cynical or conspiracy theory, but I I have to put it out there just because it's true. No one benefits, no one uh, no one gains economically from children ha- having hours of free play, right? Mm, that hours mm. where they're not in tutoring, where they're not in school, where they're not, you know, being chauffeured from class to class, where they're not being set in front of Netflix or, you know, Amazon Prime or whatever TV show. It- it's hours where they're not being good consumers in the marketplace. And as parents, we-, we fall prey to that idea that we have to keep our kids constantly on the on the wheel, right, on the hamster wheel of childhood that there's no time to play really. That play is what you do when you finish your homework, when you finish your school day, when you finish your chores, when you finish all the other stuff. It's on the schedule. I mean, come on. Yeah, it's <laughs> on the schedule. Right. So you know what I mean? So it's just kind of being shoved out and we see this in so many different areas of life, shorter recesses, longer school days, shorter summer holidays, much more structured activities for kids, much more time spent on screens, which we can debate whether that consists, whether that, counts as play or not, you know, different opinions on that. But so much more time in organized sports versus just pick up games with friends, etc. And much more time, I have to say, this is so interesting too, is that even though parents are working so much more, mums in particular are working so much more than they were in the 50s, they're also simultaneously spending so much more time with their children. Mm-hmm. And we've all been taught, we've seen these researches and picked up these like ideas that you have to be speaking to your baby 24-7. The more words they hear by the time they're two, the, the bigger their vocabulary, the better they are in academics, that we have to enrich them. It's not good, en- it's not good enough to learn to read when you're seven now now you have to learn to read when you're five and all of this stuff is creeping into childhood where literally there's no time left for play but but the flip side to that the other side of that coin of the fact that there is no play is the fact of how crucial play is for kids Mm -hmm. and how it it not only develops their gross and fine motor skills, it not only develops their social skills, it not only teaches them scientific exploration and discovery, artistic expression, attunement to their bodies, but also helps them process emotionally whatever it is that's that's on their mind. So this is an absolute huge win and you're right, we have a lot of barriers because when we see a kid kind of rolling around on the floor, we're like, you're not being productive. Hello, hello, hello. What are you doing? <laughs> you know, this isn't what we pay you or for. Or we start to feel anxious when they are s- figuring out their flow, right? Mm-hmm. If we're watching them and they haven't really figured it out or they start to say, I'm bored or maybe someone is coming out of a, maybe a child is coming out of a very structured environment where it's not just school, but then they had all these after school things that were structured and they were structured from seven in the morning till eight at night, right? Until they went to bed. Yes. So yeah, so I, I see a struggle with parents around then looking at this child who's struggling to get back to their natural state, right? And so what do we do? How do we help them? I know that you teach entire courses around this, right? So I know that I'm asking a lot of you by saying, can you give us, people do that to me all the time. My child is anxious. Give me the bullet points. (laughs) Give me the bullet points. Yeah. yeah, no, I totally get it. And you know what, Rini, we've actually, I just spoke to my team today. We would really love to make my course, or at least part of my present play course that our members pay for yearly. We want to make part of that available to anyone who might be able to use it right now during this coronavirus craziness. Yeah. Um, really implement the stuff that I'm talking about here, reclaiming play. And so I'll just plug, this is completely free, um, theparentingjunkie.com forward slash 
Play Guru, P-L-A-Y-G-U-R-U, is going to be where we host this free course and where we make it available for a few weeks so that we can help whoever whoever may, you know, this is very small things that we can do, but it's something that we can do. Um, but Thank you. That's yeah. amazing. Thank um, you. Yeah, my, you know, my absolute pleasure. Like I said, really the least we can do. But um, I'll just say briefly here, that is what I was referring to earlier in the process of de-schooling, right? We sometimes have to get out of one mindset and into another. And that takes time. We know that on ourselves. It takes time to adjust to a new reality. Um, but one of the things that I would really kind of recommend parents do as much as possible, and this is challenging, is you have your house rules, right? I'm not saying you have to let your kid play Minecraft for seven hours solid or whatever. And maybe you have rules around screen time. We do. I'm not ashamed of that. <laughs> Even though some of my friends judge me terribly for it. We certainly do have rules. They around judge you for having rules around screen time? Ah, okay. You interesting. It, you <laughs> <laughs> um, so yeah, I'm saying we have certain rules about what, you know, what has to happen first in the day and what has to happen at the end of the day, et cetera. But what can be really refreshing and healing and an amazing opportunity to do this is to simply let your child be. Whoa. <laughs> Whoa. What does that look like? What okay. I mean, I'm honestly asking. Okay. So my child is, my child isn't, although my kids are, I can hear them downstairs, right? Rolling around. And so let's say that I'm sitting here, perhaps I'm trying to be, maybe I'm just sipping a cup of coffee, right? I'm not staring at a screen or anything. I'm just kind of sitting there. Yeah. And then my child is going, mommy, 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 mommy. Or, you know, maybe they're a little older going, ma, ma, <laughs> you know, whatever it is. They are not allowing me to be, or then they're doing something that's causing, in what in my mind, havoc. So how, what does that look like to allow your child to be? Yeah. Okay. So I'm going to answer your specific question about boredom and nagging in a moment. But mm -hmm. Let's first talk about what we can control and what we can't control. Mm -hmm. We know we can't control another human being. What we have a lot of control over, and especially now that we're staying home a lot of the time, is our environment at home. Mm -hmm. what is going on in our environment around us is a huge tool that we underutilize as parents. What's the tool that we overutilize? Our words. We keep talking, 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 shouting commandments. And I've heard the parents shout about 50 commandments throughout the day, at least, maybe it's more, right? Just like, put your shoes down, don't touch that, stand here, go. Make a at what number do they tune out? That's the piece of research I like. I like number three. Yeah. <laughs> exactly. So, so my point here is, Instead of using so many words to direct our children into what I think is very productive behavior, which is playing, which is getting deep into some game, whether it's building a fort in the, in the living room using every pillow in the house, or it's painting something, or it's constructing something with a stapler and wires and all the weird things they can find in a little tinker box that we've set up for them. Or it's, you know, straight on playing with dolls or dress up or imaginary or reading a book um, or playing music, right? All of the different things where we're basically entering a state of flow. That's how I define free play for children, right? So Mihai said, Chick Mihai discovered and, and named this state of flow. You're familiar with it in case anyone hasn't ever heard of flow. It's this psychological state where there are certain characteristics. We get into state of flow when we are really challenged by something, but not too challenged, right? Like something's interesting for us, but it's not too hard that we're getting frustrated. Where time basically stands still, two hours passed, you didn't even notice, right? And we feel like we know what to do next. We just in the flow, right? In that state of flow, it's clear to us how to how to move forward, etc. When you watch young children, people may have not heard of it, but everybody has been in it at some point, you know, whether that's cooking for you or writing for you or running for you, or you've heard of people being in the zone, we've all been in flow. And that thing about time, I think is so, you know, that really hits home for me where you're doing something, you're in flow, and you just look up and you're, oh my goodness, three hours have gone by. How did that happen? That's flow. Yes. And kids, and you can see it when they're in it. It's so cool. Yeah. So I would invite all parents, you know, quarantine parents or whatever, socially distancing parenting, parents, parenting, <laughs> that's a mouthful. Parenting, yeah. um, to, to take, to kind of make an experiment to see how often and how deeply and how much can I offer my kids a state of flow. And one of the core cool things about flow is that you're not directed by someone else. 
you're self-intrinsically directed. You're not rewarded by someone else. The activity is rewarding in and of itself. Like I'm baking a cake, not because I'm going to win a prize, but because I enjoy baking the cake. And you're not interrupted by someone else because like sleep, play goes in certain cycles. And if you interrupt someone's sleep cycle, they have to start from the beginning. And the same goes for flow. They suddenly, they're groggy, they're annoyed with you. They're like, yeah. why are you here? And this, go, this runs counter to most parenting advice, which is when you see your kids building with blocks, narrate. Say, oh, you use the blue one and I'm using the red one because guess what? Academic skills and you're teaching them and you're actually their vocabulary. No, you're interrupting their flow. You are interrupting their flow and you're teaching them dependency on you. Now, of course, they keep looking to you. They have to crane their necks, as Dr. Shafali says, and keep looking to you for direction because you've taught them that. So the opportunity here is to unteach them that. Okay, the opportunity here is to respect that they can find their own flow. They are autonomous beings. They have an inner world. They have intrinsic motivation. They have activities in your home right now without buying anything. They have things they can do that light them up with curiosity and with interest and that will help them delve into a state of flow. So this is any child. This is not just the curious, super curious child. This is any child. Any child, I believe. Any, you know, healthy child. Mm-hmm. Um, and so when I say, you know, when I say healthy child, I mean, of course, if you're neuroatypical in some ways, you might have challenges entering the state of flow, but putting that to one side, pretty much any child, right? Mm-hmm. And then, of course, also if you're physically challenged, you may need adults to help facilitate or manipulate the toys or whatever for you. But, um, but I think every child has their own inner world that they're interested in delving into. I do think that. I think that we sometimes teach them out of it. And so I think this is an amazing opportunity to guide them towards finding that and also to teach them responsibility for using their time well. One of the things they miss out on when they're in school and sometimes they get this on the weekends or on the summers or in the afternoons is learning self-direction, is learning to take responsibility for how you spend your time, to make a plan, right? To think about it. Because so if this, you're being told, so this happens by saying to them, you should be self-directed and responsible for your own time. Yeah, well, <laughs> we just literally just tell them. Well, here's the thing. I think certainly kids with your ages, right? Younger kids, it's not going to happen in that way. But certainly kids with your ages, you can do all the work manipulating the environment. Okay, You can set out some great, okay, here are our puzzles. Here are our books. Here are art supplies. The kitchen is available to you if you want to browse a recipe on Instagram. I, I, Pinterest, where do you get recipes? Um, right? Or you can decide. You get to decide because you're the museum curator. Okay? You curate this space. You decide. And by the way, you decide in accordance to your boundaries. If you can't handle mess in the kitchen, don't offer that as an option. That is currently off the table. I'm so sorry. I cannot handle mess in the kitchen today. Fine. Right? But you know, the bubble bath is there for your disposal. If you want to do whatever it is, I don't know, paper, paper mache or write your own book or dressing up, etc. right? These are the options we have. You set the environment. And by the way, not giving you words to say, I'm telling you things to do. Mm-hmm. I don't think we need to necessarily over communicate with words. We communicate with how we present the environment. And there's one concept from homeschooling, which is so powerful. And I talk about it a lot, which is strewing right? Some of you might have heard of this, but it's the idea of setting out play prompts. It's something that exists in Montessori, in Reggio Emilio, in Waldorf schools, but the idea of setting out an invitation, an invitation, like here's a puzzle, right? And one of the things, just like a quick tip, for example, is if the puzzle's too hard for the child to do by themselves, how about you set out the pieces in the right order, but not connected, right? Thinking what is going to draw my child in? Maybe this scene with the farm animals and the gates, but suddenly it's on the kitchen table where they've never seen it and there's a little bowl of water. Who knows, maybe that's to feed the animals, right? And I've mixed mediums in a way that my child hasn't seen yet. I've piqued curiosity, right? Mm -hmm. Maybe I'm taking all the pillows from our house and I'm putting them in the pack and play and suddenly it's like a new type of thoughts that they haven't seen before. Who knows where their imagination is going to go with that? When you're strewing, are you doing it without them in the area you're doing it basically when they're not there so they don't see you doing you this can, or you could not it's not like you're trying to be like elf on the shelf and in secret <laughs> right? 
Sometimes it's really effective when they just discover something in the morning and you've done it the night before. If you had the patience at like, you know, 9 p.m. and you can do it, then great. It's really cool. They wake up in the morning, you get to sleep in for half an hour because they discovered some cool Play-Doh setup that they haven't seen before. Cool, great. But if not, and especially with toddlers that move through actions activities quite fast, you pretty much want to be continuously strewing. Like, huh, here's a comic book you haven't read in a while. Huh, here's a, right? You're just kind of continuously offering and creating interest in the environment and kind of just spotlighting. You know, we all know that what we see draws us in. What's behind it, what's in a cupboard, they're not going to be like, mom, can you please get out Monopoly and teach us how to play? No, right? They don't know. But if it's suddenly out there and it's also, oh my God, what's this? It's exciting. So, you know, Julie Bogart calls this enchantment practicing the art of enchantment like how can we enchant our kids that this is a creative juicy fun vibrant place to be and there's so much on offer and if you're bored no problem ma'am like you know godspeed that's on you that's your choice boredom is an absolute blessing go for it you want to be bored i have no problem with that but it's your choice to be bored because you have this day god gave you this gift right it's yours what are you going to do with it Mm. you know that's kind of what I was gonna come around to is when you say mom 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 I say to my kids yes how can I help you and they say oh I'm bored Uh," I say "Hmm. hmm yeah I get it there you know there are a lot of options and you can choose and if you need help getting anything out let me know and if you want to be bored that's fine just please don't nag my name because I'm busy Mm-hmm. I'm not bored. I've got a lot of stuff going on, you know, mm-hmm. and just really putting that back on them. Like mm-hmm. I'm here to help. I'm your facilitator. You want me to go and find a recipe for you or whatever, or tell you if you can or cannot do something. Sure. But what you do with your time after I've initially just acquainted you with the fact that there are lots of things to do, that the world is so interesting and the world is your oyster in your home. You have so much, you have books, you have puzzles, you have You know, maybe you have siblings to play with. Oh my God, what a blessing, right? So once I've taught, once I've laid out for you, now I'm going to continuously bounce that ball back to you. Like, I don't know, honey, do you have any ideas? Isn't it cool that we have two hours? What do you want to do with them? Talk to me about the parent who's thinking, okay, well, I don't want to feel, I don't want my kids to think I'm being, I'm disconnected, right? That I'm not present, that now I'm, you know, I've, I've strewed in a very beautiful way. I've let them know that they can, you know, like have at it. And now I'm going, cause I have responsibilities and I'm sitting in, you know, in front of whatever my screen and doing my thing. And I don't want, I don't want this process where maybe they're going to go into flow, but they're thinking, oh, mommy or daddy or whomever is being, why is that not disconnection? Sure. So a few things. First of all, I follow a really helpful rule from the world of Rye, uh, led by Magda Gerber. Um, and there's a great concept in Rye for babies, but it has followed me through to this day, which is that during caregiving times, you bring your full presence. Meal times, bathing, dressing your child, giving them medicine, putting them to bed, getting them up in the morning, that type of thing. Your caregiving, your t- caretaking, you're fully present. You're not on your screen. You're not distracted. You're with them. And that's the time when they say, oh my God, mom, did you think about this? And I'm worried about that, et cetera, et cetera, right? The rest of the time, maybe you are going to connect with them some of that time. Maybe you're going to sit down and have a full-on game with them. Great but maybe not. And that's okay. And we, I think it's what's really helpful with regards to presence is to be extremely mindful and intentional about it when we do it and then not worry the rest of the time. If you think about the connection between you and your partner, if you have one, right? Mm-hmm. If you spend a day with your partner on vacation with no kids in Tuscany, whatever, a gorgeous day, do you expect to be gazing into each other's eyes, you know, for 12 hours solid? <laughs> honey go get me a cappuccino (laughs) it can get a little overwhelming like it's nice to really really connect and then we also want our time to just let our mind rip and 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 zone out a little bit etc when kids get filled up on a little bit of intense connection every you know few hours or so 
they don't need it the rest of the time. Mm. And that's not to say that you can't give it to them, but it is to say that sometimes you're actually intruding. If you've properly connected with your kids, you snuggled with them in the morning, you sat and had your breakfast together, etc., you will find, and this is often a staple of secure attachment, that the kid wanders off. Mm-hmm. They wander off to do their own thing. They know they can come back to you as home base. And we see this when we measure attachment in babies is that when their mom is sitting there, they feel safe to go and explore knowing that they can come back. There's a certain anxious attachment element to this constant need to be present and helicopter and hovering over, especially at home, right? Like you're at home. It's okay for them to be in the other room. Even if they're a toddler, it's fine. It's beautiful. And to round this out with another way of thinking about it is if you were writing a novel and your partner kept coming in and being like, oh, looking over your shoulder and saying, I love how you wrote that metaphor. That's beautiful. (laughs) Oh, honey, do you want me to write it with you? Are you learning here? You're in my space. <laughs> yes. So annoying, right? And yeah. we don't realize, but we're really intruding on kids' privacy and on their ability to enter flow, which, by the way, is a vital psychological state for our mental health. Mm-hmm. Everybody needs to enter that state regularly in mm-hmm. order to be mentally healthy. And so especially if you want to feel okay during these next two weeks, do those projects, do the creative thing, do the knitting or the whatever it is, right, that enters a state of flow for you and for your children and respect it. Last point, sorry, I have so many points on this, but I just want to say I last love point, it. is that expecting to be able to, if you are imagining homeschoolers being constantly present with your kids, you are delusional, <laughs> okay? That's not how it happens. It's impossible for anyone. It is not a realistic expectation, not only is it not good for kids? As I just said, I don't think it's good for them. I think they need their independence and their space away from us. It's particularly going to lead to burnout for you. This is the reason behind all of the mom, the mom memes that we see, you know, of like, Oh my God, like I have to spend the whole day with my kids. Like shoot me now. This is so difficult, etc. That attitude towards spending extended periods of times with our kids is a misunderstanding of connection, separation, connection, separation that happens throughout the day between parents and child when you are together all day. It is not reasonable to expect that. And it is a very good idea for you to take care of you and avoid burnout. Mm -hmm. Very good idea. Indeed. It is absolutely okay to set clear boundaries to be like, I'm so excited to play you know, a roughhousing game with you right now. We're going to do that until whatever, 6 p.m. And then I'm going to take a bubble bath and watch a movie. And you can watch a movie in that room and then we'll reconvene for dinner. Whatever, I don't care. Let it be whatever it is that feels good to you because you need to feel good in this process. This can be a fun, amazing time for your family. So long as you're safe and healthy, it can be an amazing time for your family if you let it be. Oh, I love that. I love that. You know, a couple of things that came up for me as you were saying this is I have, I have two kids and one of them, my son is, he's, it's pretty easy for him to go into flow. He finds that state very naturally. He'll just walk away and he'll just be in it and he can be in it for hours. My daughter, on the other hand, can also find flow. However, she loves a playmate, you know, she loves, she loves to actually, so at first, you know, in the beginning, I was, so what's underneath this need? Why is there so much attention seeking? You know, I do all this connection time with her and it, it isn't actually connection seeking. She actually has a different thing where she likes to um, enact power. So she likes to be teacher. She likes to be anything in an authoritarian position, essentially. And in order for her to play that out, she needs a student or a patient in her doctor's office. And mommy apparently does it the best, right? So I will say that that came up for me because I wanted to say one thing is that often I am waiting to, I wait to get over this hump with her because she can be really demanding about it. I don't want to play with Jude. I said, oh my goodness, you're so lucky. You have a sibling, you know, he'd like be happy to be your patient. No, he doesn't play the patient as good as me. So I wait and there is this hump where if I give in, right, because I know she's getting enough connection time, if I give in, then she will, you know, like suck me away for hours and, you know, and, and some days that's okay, right? Like, and she needs it and it's great and it's amazing. However, there's some days where I can't and I, or some days where I don't want to, right? And so I get to this place where I just say to myself, okay, I can tolerate this. I can tolerate, I literally have to talk to myself. Yeah. I can tolerate it. And she 
there's never a time, sometimes it takes an hour, I'll be honest with you, but there's never a time where after that hump, she doesn't find her flow. She doesn't go, you know, lie in her bed and then say, I'm okay, I'm just not going to do anything, you know, the rest of the day. She doesn't give, you know, she just, (laughs) she doesn't like fall flat like that. And so if I set my boundaries and I don't give in and I know the need for why she's calling me, but when my, when my bucket's not filled and I'm exhausted and my patience level is very low, then I can, in my mind, I have what I call floating thoughts and my floating thoughts are the things that I should let float by is which I call them floating thoughts oh my goodness, this child is so needy. You know, <laughs> she's, she's been sent here to evolve my soul, but she's, you know, she's, but she's, but she's not. And, and, you know, she is looking for someone to help her enhance her imagination and her imaginary play. But again, if I, if I don't play that role, she figures it out. It's amazing. Every single time. But the goal is for me to kind of like let it play out, you know? Yeah. Yes, I relate to that 100%. And I'm so glad you brought that up because there is a hump that you have to push through in this process. With most kids, they have to get used to the boundary. And I think most of us have this guilt around setting the boundary because we're told we have to play with our kids. I don't think we have to play with our kids as much as our culture is telling us to because I think it's leading parents to resentment of their children. And I think there's nothing worse than being on the receiving end of a a resentfully given gift, right? It's not a gift. It's not quality time if you're sitting there saying, I wish this was over. And your kids feel that. <laughs> out loud. You might even be saying it out loud, right? <laughs> yeah. But even if you're saying it in your heart, they know. They yeah. know. They're like, you're not really in this. You're not being a good patient. Like, they yeah. can tell. And I say to myself, you know, it's a goal for me to be authentic with my kids. And when I can come and play with an uh, open heart and truly, like, enjoy it, great. And if I can't, then it's a no. And it's not apologetic. I know I give them a lot. And I know that I'm there for them when I can be. And yes, they have to split me between four siblings and a career and a business. And that's not easy. Tough luck. That's life, you know? And I don't feel sorry for them in the slightest. And I think that's why they just get over it, as you're saying, move forward and seize the day and use their own time, right? Learn to use their own time in the way that they love. So, yes. And you have to allow them to get over it. I love that you said get over it. They do get over it. That's a skill. Getting, yeah. over, getting over a disappointment is a skill. And it's a great skill to have. If we never allow them to get over it, experience the disappointment, one, some of them never experience it, right? But then to process it and move on from it, it is absolutely a skill. I wanted to ask you one more thing that was coming up for me when you were talking about. So I tend to be very organized, you know, I have to put myself in check. So I don't, I'm, I'm pretty minimalist. I mean, for the, I think I'm minimalist. It's all relative, right? But I don't, I, I like to purge, right? I like to get rid of stuff. I like to purge. Um, however, kids see organization in a different way. And when you're talking about strewing, I wonder how, you get kids to pitch in to help with a reorganization of what you have strewed, especially if you've made it so exciting and there's stuff all over the place in these different places. So can you give us a little tip on that? Because I know that really is hard for some people, especially since now in the situation we're all together all the time. Uh, yeah. How do we, how do we deal with that? A hundred percent, a hundred percent. And before we move on to that great question, I just want to say one lingering point from the other one is that what, what does happen is if we play with our kids when we don't want to, we then end up exploding at them around mm-hmm. something small or whatever later on. Like they ask us for one more thing and that's it. And it becomes a straw that broke our back. It's our responsibility to notice And I call this limit setting to protect the relationship. The child doesn't understand. You're doing nothing. You're sitting and reading your coffee. Why can't you play with me? It's not fair. And you get convinced by that. You're right. It's not fair. Okay, fine. I'll do this. I'll do this. But then you don't realize that you're building up this level of how much can I take? And that ends up exploding at them. Now, if there was full transparency in this contract, when they came and asked you to play, you said, Yes, child, I will play with you for the next hour, but then I will explode at you at bath time because I gave you all my time that I didn't (laughs) mean to give. Sign the dotted line. They're not signing that, right? They don't actually want that. And that's our job as the adults to realize that that's the contract really, right? So before we we bring them into a uh, a false transaction. Okay, let's go to strewing now. That's hilarious. (laughs) 
Um, so screwing an organization. Okay. So here's the deal. Um, I too dislike mayhem and chaos and I like organization as well. First of all, this goes a little bit beyond our conversation here and probably what most people are going to be able to set up during this time but i recommend having play zones areas in the home where you play a certain type of play so constructive play and that kind of thing goes in the imagination zone messy play and art play goes in the messy zone etc so i just i'll put that to you know i'll kind of put a pin in that but just long-term thinking i think it's worth it in homes to set up areas that makes it even in a one-bedroom apartment you could do that mm -hmm. um but um, but if that isn't the case, first of all, you don't have to strew many things all at once, right? You could do one thing and only when that is put away, you, you take out another thing. Also, don't take it personally if they don't bite, right? These are invitations. You have to remember that. These are just invitations. It's like an experiment. Um, and second of all, I think those big rocks that we have in the day can help us be kind of goalposts for a round of cleanup time. Like, yes, we're all hungry and we all want to get to lunch, but if we step on the floor, we're going to get injured by Legos. So we're going to put on the music and spend five minutes cleaning up. And I just want to say this is a perfect time to up the chore expectations of your children. I really think so. You're all at home. Everybody has to pitch in. It's a great learning experience. It will take pressure off you if your children are like age five and up or even four and up. They can do things that actually help sometimes or at the very least become more aware of not just dropping things wherever they want or using a million spoons instead of one and that type of thing. Like they can become more aware. So this is a time I believe like I definitely upped my expectations of my kids of tidying their own stuff up rather than waiting for them to be out of the house and do it myself quickly. I think even from a very young age, they can understand that if we're all pitching in and we're all doing it together, then we all have more energy than to connect later when it's connection time, you know, or when it's family time. And otherwise, if I'm doing most of it, mommy gets very tired, you know, I won't have any energy left. They understand energy, you know, from a very young age. So thank you. That's so helpful. Okay, you are amazing. You are an encyclopedia. There are no encyclopedias. What, what decade am I in? <laughs> 2020 we're in we're in 2020 we're um talking about uh, you're a wikipedia is that better that's better you're really literally so resourceful when it comes to so many different things thank you Remy, and thank you so much for this amazing series it's helped me on a personal level i'm blasting it out to my community it's helping everyone i love how you just like straight away got got on like on point and you're like right i know what to do i have all these amazing connections and you just Serving people really, truly making a huge difference in people's lives. And I feel so honored and just blessed, really, just, you know, very, very grateful that I'm able to be here and help in any kind of way. And if anyone has any questions for me, they can just DM me on Instagram. I'll do my very best to answer each and every one. But if there's any questions around, you know, encouraging independent play or setting up your home or that type of thing, um, please don't hesitate to, uh, to ping me. Thanks for listening to The Parenting Junkie Show. If this was helpful for you, I would be so appreciative if you would subscribe, rate, and review the podcast. Subscribing to the show means you'll get the bonus episodes that I only deliver here. And when you rate and review the show, it helps other parents find it. I'll be shouting out some of my favorite reviews in upcoming episodes and would love to spotlight you. And remember, keep on loving parenting and parenting from love. Namaste.